Welcome to the First Five Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Corey, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew Gotro. And today we have uh, just really one of these guys, almost kind of like a mysterious guy. If you don't know him, it can be hard to to track down and get to know. Uh, and and so I'm very much looking forward to doing that today on the podcast. Uh, please uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, local Lafayette legend Joey Thibodeau. Hey, thanks for having <laughs> me. I remember the first time that I saw you at beer garden and it made a strong impression because you told this joke. Um, the one I'm not going to just make you do the joke or whatever, but the one about the girl you were dating from Tinder in new Orleans. And then the, uh, the tree reached in through the, window. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 It was like, there was a tornado. It was, I was like talking to someone on a dating app and then they went silent for a few hours I was like, oh, maybe they ghosted me. And then my roommate was like, man, did you see there's like tornadoes in New Orleans today? And I just like ran through my head. I was like, I wonder if like knocked a power line down or something. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Wi-Fi is at, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just like spun a joke about someone like ghosting me or not wanting to talk to me. And it's like, oh, it must be the weather. You know, yeah. I should, <laughs> I, should uh, I should definitely like reach out and uh <laughs> Cause that's in an emergency situation. You need the guy you're talking to on Tinder to check in on you. That's yeah. helpful. Who lives two hours away. That's so the great. most useful thing on the planet. And with that, uh, that joke, it involves something that we can all relate to with Tinder and dating apps and everything. But then there's such a unique uh, point of view with that. It's your story. It's that's not too far off from what happened. It's just got a really funny and creative uh, uh, spin that happens there. And I was wondering, like, just be, I'm going to tie two things that I wanted to ask you about in together, because another thing about this is that um, Tyler Arsenault, which is uh, the second guest we ever had on the podcast, um, he says that you're his favorite joke writer. And that that means a lot to us, you know, just because we we revere and. and yeah, I don't like it when he says that. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Fuck. No, it's all I. Uh, intros are like a blessing and a curse because of how they set expectations it's like you know whenever yeah. someone says something it's like it's flattering and mm-hmm. it, it might catch the audience's attention and they're right. like, oh, well i better pay attention to this set or whatever but it's like the backside of that is like a lot of times it's a fucking open mic i'm not going bringing my a stuff every yeah, i'm not trying to like it's not a home run derby i'm going with like the rough shit i thought of today <laughs> yes like, yeah right maybe it's a future good joke but it's probably may not very well be a present good joke so yeah it's like, i've be, never said this before yeah no <laughs> the intro should be like uh your next comedian is my favorite joke writer in town. He's not going to be telling any jokes that demonstrate that. So go to a show where you have to pay to see him. <laughs> yeah. you know, he'll do the good ones. <laughs> yeah, I this like is, that. You know, or something. I used to, uh, whenever I hosted a show, uh, I think I would bring up Maggie as uh, my favorite stand-up comedian or something along those lines, right? And it was always funny. And I knew intentionally when I did that, I'm like, there are 15 other motherfuckers in this audience who are also <laughs> friends of mine who are stand-up comedians. And I'm like, fuck all of you. She's better. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm putting my foot down. Anyone wants to argue with me, fuck mm-hmm. off. Yeah. Yeah. Better bring a good argument. Yeah. Um, so when you're writing jokes, do you do you ever come up with an idea and think oh, it's kind of hacky and have to sort of dig into it a little bit further to find the part that's unique? Or do you find that your point of view is novel enough already that 
it just comes out naturally as unique. Right. I don't know if it's just point of view, because I definitely think of corny shit, but that's usually I just don't say it on stage. Most of the time I'll say it to whoever's standing next to me in that moment. And then they get really mad at me. <laughs> and they're like, I fucking hate you. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I just think it's one of these a day. They have to get out. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. And so it's more like filtering than, yeah. than the perspective. Because my point of view can be corny at times. It's the uh, it's the sort of process by which you write and filter out stuff or, or uh, find something interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know about y'all's process there if we're going to get into that, but I, I, I've always had an interesting, I found it interesting the different ways you can write a joke. Um, I think of it as like uh, top down and bottom up is the nomenclature I've given it. And mm-hmm. um, so, uh, and I forget now which one I assigned to which thing, but I'm pretty sure uh, <laughs> top down is when you, or sorry, yeah, top down is when you start with like a uh, a, a topic you want to cover, mm-hmm. and then you like so it's, this would be like a, like a late night host monologue right, right? is you're going to touch on like we, they're not going up and just like uh doing normal stand-up they're doing stand-up about like the news and what's mm-hmm. going on and of course mm-hmm. they have writers rooms who come up with this stuff but the mm-hmm. thing they're doing is taking the topic and then finding something funny about it punch it up right you start with just an analysis and then you so you have sort of a prompt to work with and bottom up which is more the way i write which is that sometimes you just think of something funny spontaneously and then build a joke around that mm-hmm. like how do i like what do i need to say to get to the point where i can say this on stage like obviously mm-hmm. you can't just go up and say a punchline and come up but it's you know I, I uh rather than having like a premise that i'm writing from i'll just sometimes be encounter a thing that you know spurs a funny thought which isn't a fully formed joke and i'll move outward from there mm-hmm. and it sucks because it, i think the other way is better if you can do it well mm-hmm. Because then you can be incredibly productive because right. there's material mm-hmm. everywhere. And right, you just yeah. like look at the news and, you know, riff mm-hmm. on that. But it's like for me, I am very much beholden to what emerges from my head. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And those are the kind of the better things, too, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's something that got plucked there um, that got put there instead of like. I'm just going to write about this thing and then see where it, what ends up coming out, yeah. which could be could could be magic too sure but the other thing the magic part already happened yeah now yeah. you just have to figure out how to do the trick or whatever yeah you can kind of uh kind of uh agitate towards squeezing the funny thoughts out of your brain even if they are sort of spontaneous by just everything you encounter you just kind of turn it sideways and look at it from a different way you know if you <clears throat> I don't know if, if, if you encounter something that like uh, everyone just uh, universally hates or, so, you know, movie that everyone hates or something, you will then just go instead of just like, I'm going to go up there and make fun of how bad this movie is. Instead, think about like, well, who's it for? Who likes it? Mm-hmm. What is redeeming about this and why? You know, it's like maybe um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I mean, obviously there's like stuff like costumes or whatever, but. It, just try and imagine like a goofy thing that someone mm-hmm. could be obsessive about. It's like, 
you know, everyone shits on sh- had their time shitting on like Morbius or whatever. But what if they're you're just really into watching like cult leaders act in movies? And so it's just <laughs> it's got Jared Leto. You got to go see it. Doesn't matter how bad the movie is. You're gonna have a good time because for you it's about being a part of history and seeing this fucking maniac on screen or whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, and, and this is just, you know, we can dig into this, but I would say just from observing Drew's process that he probably does a lot of bottom up writing. Like he'll, we'll be riffing, he'll come, we, you know, whoever, he'll be riffing with whomever. And then something funny will come out of it. And then he'll take that and go work with that. And I find that my process is a lot more the opposite where like, I know I want to write a joke because I'm dealing with this right now. Every time I drive by a Chick-fil-A and I see that there is like a double wrap of line wrapped around the building, spilling out into the street, causing traffic problems. They are they are having to tear down perfectly good Chick-fil-A's to move them a mile down the road on AMCAF just to avoid traffic issues. And I think it's ridiculous. I think that people that are that hardcore about Chick-fil-A are just kind of like you just need to settle down a little bit. And I also think it's funny that a lot of those most popular locations are right next to a Taco Bell that is always empty at the same time. I think that's funny, but not funny enough. On it. I can't just yeah. go up and say yeah, that you're on almost, stage. You're almost, you're almost writing the joke from the middle outwards now because it's yeah. not like I'm going to pick a topic and I'm going to write about this topic until I find what's funny. Mm-hmm. There's something that... There's a topic that you think is funny, but you don't really know what's funny. So you're still looking for it, but the idea has also been planted in your head and you can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. So you're doing your own thing there. You're coming instead of going from top to bottom, you're like mid height and you're going both ways. Right. Yeah. I, wonder, I know there's something funny. I just don't know what the angle is. Yeah, I wonder if there's like if there's like a boardroom meeting at Chick-fil-A where they're discussing whether or not they're going to move the restaurant because of the traffic. They literally have like two sets of numbers. One of them is how much it costs to move the restaurant. And the other one is like how much it costs to like move the roads farther away from the <laughs> restaurant. Like what if we just like tear ambassador out of the ground and move it farther that way. So we have a longer drive. You know, it's like... <laughs> That's it. Uh, and and so would you I mean, would you say that generally speaking, do you do you find that you drew that you like to kind of already have something funny and then kind of build something around it? Well, that's the way that it ends up work. I get better results that way. Yeah, I do try. Sometimes to uh, well, what I'm doing, though, is I'm just trying to to like sit down and be like, I'm going to try to write something. But I don't know what to write about. I'm just kind of trying to think about a top like that top down writing thing like what's a like what's a funny topic and then i'll and to think like well maybe i'll try to write but i get then i get stuck on what topic you know it's almost it's almost like i need someone to assign to me like something right there's a there's a show in new orleans um I recommend both of you go uh, if you have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's an Mike in New Orleans. You have the opportunity. But if you have mm-hmm. the time, uh, it's called Bear With Me. It's at 12 Mile Limit. It used to be like my favorite um, open mic in the state. I mean, it may still be. I haven't been in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have a thing where they have uh, fishbowl topics. So every week they pull something or rather mm-hmm. they, they pull something out of the fishbowl for next week. That'll it's just like uh audience submitted topics and it's mm-hmm. the theme of the week now it's like optional but uh basically if, if you tell 
jokes about whatever the topic is at the end of the night, the bartender picks their favorite of all of those jokes. And that person gets like free drink or something. Oh. And it's just like a, a writing prompt, you know, it's it's uh, and it, I, I thought that would be kind of fun and like mold over the it would be fun too it. to see the different directions each person goes when they're given the same topic right you know that yeah, to yeah. me that would be fun to, to see what that each individual person how their brain goes to yeah. where they go to what's funny about it yeah well it's like it would it's the most boring part of it is whenever uh one of the fishbowl topics that comes out is about is like someone already has material on it that's the most boring thing because you know it's probably going to be the best joke right because it's something they've like polished and worked yeah. on and it just so <laughs> happens you pulled out uh high fructose corn syrup well ben has a joke about fucking high fructose corn syrup <laughs> just give him the drink now you know whatever <laughs> it's uh but uh, that that's the least interesting part. The most interesting part is whenever, like, this is something that, like, no one talk, like, no one's sitting at home, like, I really need to write a joke about pajamas. But mm -hmm. somebody put pajamas in the fucking fishbowl, and so mm -hmm. now you're compelled to think about what's funny about pajamas. <laughs> or, you know, what can I, is there a story I can think of from my childhood about a pair of or pajamas owned or whatever, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. uh, there there is something interesting that uh, uh, to specifically thinking about shit you would not otherwise write about because like whenever people are, are suggesting the topics it's never like um traditional like things you would think to write a joke mm -hmm. about they're just writing nouns down right you know yeah. and so it'll just be like cats or something i mean I guess oh, like yeah, a lot of yeah, people joke a, about cats but yeah a wide range of things that could come out of that yeah um and and i find that so much funnier than just like no one's writing uh your penis on a piece of paper and putting it in the fishbowl. <laughs> you know, like. yeah. I had this idea like right before I started stand up, mm -hmm. like within like a few weeks that I was out. Um, I told my wife, I was like, just give me like one word every day and I'll try to write a, a little joke about it or see if it turns into something. Mm -hmm. And it only lasted one day because, you know, my wife wasn't, it's like I gave her homework. <laughs> right. you know, she did it like the one day she gave me something and the next day she's like i don't know I, I, she ran out of ideas but she gave me the word potatoes mm -hmm. so this, we might have to edit this if it's not or i've never told this on stage so it's like i'm doing an open mic right now okay yeah, yeah. but this joke that i wrote was if i can remember it um some like potatoes are, are weird they're like this vegetable that and some people will use potatoes like kind of like to slander a certain group of people that mm -hmm. they don't like. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. People try doing it with watermelons, but it never worked because everyone loves watermelons and mm -hmm. they're nice and refreshing. And you think of summertime, swimming, music, going to the river. So it doesn't work. But, you know, potatoes are, they're dirty and smelly and dusty. You know, like Irish people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, that's definitely that's interesting. Yeah, that would not be the direction I took potatoes. I think, I mean, like, I think it's reasonable, right? Well, maybe it's just but, shows but a flaw on my part right. that the first thing I thought about was Irish people with potatoes. Yeah, well, that, it that definitely shows a bit of a uh, uh, prejudice. Well, it's it's not even necessarily <laughs> like not your really, own prejudice yeah. so much as like yeah, that's true because I don't care about. I mean, just, I can't really tell a white from another white. Yeah, it's like it's more to do with uh, uh, what. 
Society. You pick up from yeah. what's happening outside, right, of you, yeah. right? You know, that's that's usually what's top of mind is not necessarily your own personal biases, opinions, and thoughts, but those, you know, like what you expect everyone else might be thinking or associate with it because you hear it a lot. Uh, yeah, no, I would. Uh, yeah, I might, that, I might just start flipping open the dictionary every now and then. Yeah, just uh, do do like the Wordle and then use that as your word of the day or whatever. You familiar with Wordle? I know what it is. I never played it, but yeah, yeah I know what it is. It, it looks like people having a good time with it. It seems like it would be easy, like if, cause you know, all the late night shows tend to all pile on the same handful of topics from the news. And so one exercise that seems like it would be kind of a fun thing to do is to go and find out, you go look at those things that are most likely going to end up in all the late night monologues, go try your hand at it and then go see what they all ended up writing about and just comparing what you did to what they did. That might be interesting because you know, as much as people criticize late night uh, writers rooms for all kind of piling on the same topics, that's got to be a special skill to be able to sit there. And, and like Joe was talking about, just top down, you have a prompt and now you have to go find. Well, especially funny. knowing that everyone on every other show is pretty much writing on the same topics because they do the show every single day. Mm-hmm. So it has to you. It's got to be something funny and not be the same angle that they're going to be riding on that other show. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough. It would be, it it is a fun exercise. I think to do topical humor, it can be, I mean, it's, uh, it's very, uh, temporary. The material doesn't, doesn't stay effective for all that Mm -hmm. long. It's, it's tough to, Oh, do you guys remember back when, you know, like once it's gone by a little bit, especially how fast news cycles move nowadays. Yeah. But I, I remember my first set I ever did, it was um, April 27th, 2014. Um, I remember that because I, I intended to start the week before, but it was Easter and 420 on the same day and the bar was closed. Um, probably more 420 than Easter related, <laughs> if I had to guess, based on <laughs> the staff of the bar at JP's. And uh, so I went the next week, 427. And uh, 426 uh, Saturday that morning uh, was when do you, do you guys know about the or remember the uh, Donald Sterling, the owner mm-hmm. of the Clippers? Yeah, uh, eventually like, OK, so that that like tape of him saying the N word and a bunch of racist stuff came out the day before. Uh, first comedy said I did a topical joke ever. First mm-hmm. comedy said ever. And the joke was like uh, it's pretty short, but I just like explained what happened with this guy and it's like everyone's really shocked about it i'm not that surprised uh if a bunch of people uh, <laughs> it's like i forget how i phrase it but i think it was like if a bunch of uh if a bunch of people refer to a dude as uh their owner don't be surprised if he starts acting racist <laughs> <laughs> um and uh and that was fun. It was like the first set. Hey, yeah. stole a decent enough joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be really fucking weird if ten years later I'm like, do you guys remember you'd the old to, owner of the Clippers to, before Steve Ballmer? You'd have to like set it up all over again. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It would take so much longer, and then also to to get into, and then also yeah, because that joke's probably like four Bill Burr specials ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, nine, yeah, yeah, because that's almost ten years ago. Years, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so no, it's, it would be, it's, I mean, granted, I, I, I think I did that joke one time and it's like, basically after that, it was out of the news I cycle know. and I was already having to be like, remember two weeks ago, <laughs> just like, I was doing some top, like I kind of did some topical stuff my first time. But when I say top, like topical, like news story, because this story was probably like a year old at the time, once I yeah. talked about it. So it was like, yeah. Yeah, it was too. It's also, it was too play talked about already, and not, there's nothing I was saying that was funny enough. Yeah, it's that, also it's also fine you know, if it's a news story that isn't talked about that much, right? If it's a weird news story, like you know, it's like uh, if, if it's yeah, like right. oh, you hear about like yeah, you could bring that up this, anytime. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like oh, you hear about this shit about the uh, Navy saying that their pilots see UFOs or something, and it's like. It doesn't really matter when that happened. It kind of stands on its own <laughs> mm-hmm. as a weird thing you can talk mm-hmm. about if you want to. Not so much like a yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not specific to that moment. It wasn't like oh yeah. I remember when we were all talking. Like no, no one was really talking about it except for like the guy from Blink One Eighty Two or whatever. <laughs> um, it's true. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, my mind just starts going to oh well, maybe at an open mic you could start planning to. Uh, open up with something topical and then get into whatever you plan to do. And that could just be a thing you do as an exercise. But I think that people forget that you kind of want to structure even an open mic set. If you want to find out how something is going to go and you want to give it a fair shot, you kind of have to start off with some kind of almost establishing that you're funny first, mm-hmm. you know, do a banger and then slip that new stuff in there and then hopefully close on something strong too, so that people have that because this is actually something I've, I've been thinking about um you get different advice from different people about how to maybe be strategic with your uh, open mics and how to get booked and then hopefully you know that'll lead to more and more things and i think sometimes people will tell you don't worry about you know telling the same jokes over and over and over again because the comics you know if you're worried that telling the same jokes to the same comics over and over and over again is going to be a problem don't worry about that focus on the crowd And I think that's gotten merit, but I think that also when you, uh, like a lot of times the comics in the room, if you can impress them and they all agree that you're funny, it seems like that starts to have a cachet and there are going to be comics in the room that book stuff, or it might be, I'm on a show and I can bring you with me and give you like a drop in spot or whatever, split this time and money with you. Impressing your, your peers does seem to have merit as well and so i don't ever i right now i'm in a bit of a struggle of like how do i use my my open mic time yeah you know do i worry about the comics or do i try to focus on the few yeah you just have to work on the material because that thing you're talking about happening it's not you're never gonna know like this thing is gonna happen tonight it's gonna happen unexpectedly so you just work on your stuff and for whatever reason you'll have something that'll just work Mm mm-hmm that night and that person will happen to be in the room when it happens. You, right. you know, you can't, we can't worry, worry about fate too much. There's yeah. nothing you can do about it. And honestly, like as far as the impressing comedians to get work from those comedians, uh, I'd say it's like, you have a better chance. Like the thing that tracks to, um, making connections and getting booked based on 
what other comics think of you is not generally what's on the stage. It's like, are you a good hang? Are you friends with this person? Yeah. Like, it's essentially, I mean, it's, it's sort of nepotistic, but yeah. it's basically like, how much do they like you? Just mm-hmm. hang out with it. It's like, you're more likely to get booked by a comic if you're their drinking buddy than if you're just someone they saw do comedy well once yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's like, so whatever it is, it's, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let that end of it factor in what I'm doing on stage so mm-hmm. much. Like, I mean, I know I called it like nepotism, but I would suggest like, you know, make friends with people like that's yeah. That's never bad. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the thing that got me booked on a lot of stuff also is I used to book a show that like paid decent. And so it's like everyone I booked to just like scratch my back whenever mm-hmm. I was coming through town, you know, they were falling all over themselves. Cause I had, you know, a Monday in Lafayette where I can put, $80 in your hand and it's like whoa hell yeah dude so they're like you know that's a lot of fucking cachet and it's it's yeah. uh I don't know there's all kinds of uh sort of you know out of the uh you know not off the court <laughs> kind of yeah stuff I, that, that factors I, into that I think you're right yeah I, I I've I've seen and I, and I also have to remind myself sometimes to kind of ignore the fact like I could hang out with some comics and I could hear them say something like exactly, which is like, don't worry about that kind of thing. And then they go up and they do this, the same joke that they've done a bunch of times. And then you'll hear them kind of clown them for that too. And you just kind of have to remember, I guess, to just not be so swayed either way by those things and, and really just kind of be more independent. Yeah. I think like your choices you make in comedy should have to do with your priorities and what you happen to need to do at that moment or feel like you want to do. So like, yeah, I mean, if you have a joke that you want to work on, do that. If you have a new joke you want to tell, do that. Like usually I don't have that much of a, um, like, uh, uh, choice to make just because there's always something that I want to do. Right. It's like, Mm -hmm. I, I just go with whatever I feel like if I, if I like, if I have a new joke that I'm excited about, I'm going to want to tell it. Like, I'm not going to have to decide mm-hmm. if I think it's a good idea or not. I just want to go yeah, fucking tell this joke. Day, yeah. Yeah. If, if I have something that, you know, I wrote a new tag for Zons, like, I think this actually will make it work. I'm going to want to tell that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like, I, I do do like the whole run derby thing. Like we, uh, we had a show at, uh, at, um, legends that I went to, um, the, the last one that happened, I think. And, uh, it was, it was like bad energy in the room mm-hmm. and I just wanted to like inject some energy into it. So I like pulled up my set from like my most recent like booked gig and just pulled like three jokes off of that and just did them so that like some, it was just like basically like a, it feels nice if people laugh versus not mm-hmm. and B like, I just wanted like the person who comes after me to have like some amount of momentum. You, you know? and you, you weren't going to get much out of working out material in that room at the time. Anyway, they were so unresponsive. Yeah. Other than just doing material for the sake of remembering, you know what I'm keeping it fresh in your head or just seeing if you might accidentally say something different, that's better. But other than that, Mm -hmm. in that point, then at least maybe you can. Well, let me try to at least make them laugh when no one else is. Yeah. Um. And that's fine, too. Also, you can just do like uh, you don't have to min max every single set to be optimized Mm -hmm. for improving. Sometimes you can go because it's fun. Like, you know, sometimes you can just go up on stage to get last doesn't 
100 percent of the time have to be oriented toward what is the best possible thing to get me on some trajectory to this Mm -hmm. or that sometimes it can just be for sport and that's fine Uh, you know if if you have a joke that you know works and you like telling it and you want to tell it and you think this crowd would really enjoy hearing this that can also be a priority is like i would like to make people laugh i would Mm -hmm. like these people to have a good time tonight tell them a fucking joke man make them laugh (laughs) that's fine too you know Mm -hmm. it's totally okay to you know i mean you say it's like if if you think this crowd has definitely like heard all these jokes before you know then yeah maybe you want to change it up or whatever Mm -hmm. but um if they haven't and all you want to do is like go up there and flex a little bit do it you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now we we have a just to shift gears a little bit we we have coming up next week it's going to be the lafayette uh yeah comedy debut at legends pub uh I've never been there before. You ever, you ever, okay. um, I've been in there yet. It's, it used to be a place called Bob's pub. Mm-hmm. And then when I got bought by legends, I think when like Bob died, mm-hmm. uh, they, they somehow negotiated the fact that they would, it would not be just legends. It would, they would maintain pub as legends pub. Gotcha. Uh, it's on, it's next to the movie theater on college. Slim. it's a decent enough bar. I don't know. I haven't been there in a while and I don't mm-hmm. know what the, crowd is like but yeah. it's more square than mm-hmm. legends downtown <laughs> and that's and the, all, the stage is the focal point of the room yeah. yeah yeah um it's 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 pretty good as a venue i think they they did a lot of music and stuff out of there uh at, at certain points i don't know where they're at now yeah. uh typically like i have <laughs> this thing where it's like uh, if they're doing a comedy open mic, things probably aren't going that good at the bar. <laughs> like, <laughs> they had to be a reason why they thought that that was the silver bullet for what yeah. was ailing them. Well, I think the thing about that place, though, is it's a place where they, uh, that particular legends is like, we're going, you're expected to have some sort of show going on over there. So if it's whether it's music or comedy, karaoke, something, it's not a go. It's not a go to the bar and just sit at the bar kind of place. Yeah. There's music and there's 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 something there, a show there if you want to see it. Sure, that's kind of that what that that venue's all about. Well, so we did it at Beer Garden. I mean, that's that's where when I first kind of got into comedy, and Drew, same thing. That's where the Lafayette Comedy Open Mic was when we got involved. And it's a weird venue to do comedy, just being outdoors and just every time we would do it, those guys on the motorcycles would drive by every Thursday or whatever it was. And uh, even despite all of the different kind of maybe uh, criticisms that you can have of that, it kind of seems like there was a a long stretch of like great stories that came out of doing mics and, and different events there. It seems like we were there and comfortable uh, for a while and then we've just been bouncing around ever since then do you think in your opinion what was it about beer garden that made even with it being an outdoor venue what was it about that place that uh whenever lafayette comedy first came to beer garden it was at like uh that bar's height in popularity more or less like shortly after it opened and the lifespan of Lafayette comedy got to basically see the sort of rise and fall of that bar, which I believe is now closed permanently and like sold to Mm. someone else to turn into something else. Um, Also that the the lineage of that show has a lot of closed bars in its (laughs) uh, history. Um, And just generally a lot of comedy shows in town uh, that used to be in existence 
happened at bars that don't exist anymore. And part of yeah. that's just bars closed, like right, mm-hmm. whatever. Part of that is also that like um generally bars that are super comfortable with the amount of businesses they're doing don't tend to add a lot of unexpected elements that they haven't tried before, like a comedy show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a vague sign that sort of self-selects for bars that are already kind of looking for something to get people mm-hmm. in there. Right. So business isn't great. And it's kind of generally true. Like uh, it's, it's, uh, it's why like whenever I had a, um, uh, I had a show up as Banos, uh, it was on Monday and I basically went in and was like, what's your slowest night of the week? Give me that where you have normally have like no one mm-hmm. after happy hour and I I will bring in some people. It might just be the comics, but I'll bring in like 12 comics and they will drink something. And if there's more than that, great. It turned into a yeah, pretty good show. But the whole thing was this bar will never <clears throat> ask me to stop doing this here. Right. Because <laughs> it's going to be better than whatever their fucking Mondays were before that. And that's kind of the thing with Beer Garden is um it was like a cornerstone of their business. And so like things were good between beer garden and Lafayette comedy. And it became kind of mutually beneficial because, uh, it was, but Jason was able to book whatever he wanted there. He, mm-hmm. he might as well have been like part owner of the place. Like he had that stage. It was his stage. He was big shit there, like over music and everything else. It was Lafayette comedy and vice versa. Lafayette comedy brought all these shows that then actually brought in business for beer garden and kept them going so it was i don't know it, it was mutually beneficial i think is, is yeah. the answer is whenever it's it's not that often you're gonna find a, a show where it's not better for one side or the other it's usually being honest it's usually mm-hmm. better for the comics than it is for the bar because right. they could do anything with that time like they could do yeah. karaoke karaoke they could do trivia they could just put on the fucking TV and play mm-hmm. a Spotify playlist and they might do better than having a fucking show. <laughs> so like usually it's the comics getting one over on the bar. Yeah. The, if you've got, if you have a bar and you have a night where you already have consistently people coming in and they're buying drinks and they're spending money. Last thing you want to say is like, Hey, let's, have someone come in and tell them all to shut up. Yeah, Go fucking scare them off. Yeah. Let's yeah. have someone go, Hey, can y'all stop? Can y'all shut the fuck up for yeah. an hour? That was always the fucking issue. It's like, if you have, if you try to, because it's like, you know, whenever I hear people talk about doing a show, it's like, oh, I want to do a show at this bar. Cause like people go there and it's a popular spot or whatever. And it's like, cool. But I hope, I mean, like, yeah, they're I already doing the comedy that. crowd yeah. that goes there. Otherwise you're going to have like a hostile bunch of people. They're like, yeah. Why are you fucking with the bar? I like hanging out at it. Right. Why are you making this such a different time that, you know, uh, ideally, yeah. what you should do is try and get people to the show who come there for the fucking show, right? Yeah, so ideally, yeah. you want to clear the bar of everyone who's yeah. not there for the show. So, so have them get all mad, like, "Hey, put Jason Aldean back on." Yeah, right? yeah. That's, that's... <laughs> See now, uh, you you work at a bar? Are you yeah. used to? I, I, okay. I bartend at a green room. Okay, so. As a person who, I don't know, I grew up around a bunch of evangelicals and I was kind of OCD about like, oh, I've never been to a bar and nobody wants me to go in my world. And so I just won't go. So I like never darken the doorstep of a bar for like, I don't even know how many, well into my 20s. I was Catholic. We grew up in bars. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, and I, <laughs> I find that so fascinating. The Catholic culture in South Louisiana is just kind of like a, it's almost as if it's, um, it's like some sort of uh 
what's the word? It's like a validated way to just kind of keep doing what you were Dude, doing. We can't, anyway. even, we can't even get through an hour of church without pulling wine out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, 9.30 on a Sunday morning. So all that. To, go ahead. Sorry. I think it's that that's de- derived from there. It's, it's really functional because it's like uh, in, in Protestant churches, it's like uh, in order to achieve forgiveness, you have to like be sorry. You right. have to, you have to want it in your heart. In Catholics, it's like, you need to do, you know, five pushups and 10 jumping jacks. And like, it's yeah, like right. a procedure. It's Absolutely. like, here's the steps to get forgiveness. Well, you it's are not... supposed to have, like they do teach you. Uh, Cause I went to catechism my whole life, but they do teach you. Like if you, Go to confession, confess your sins, do all your penance. The only way you're forgiven is if you do it with a contrite heart. So, like, if you—that's what they were. So, like, if you yeah. if you just go confess and you say your hail marys, mm-hmm. and Jesus knows you're not sorry, and it's just a way for you to keep doing it over and over. Yeah. Even yeah. if you if you if you can if you like go to confess confession and you really are in your heart sorry, you'll get forgiven. Mm-hmm. Even though you'll be back confessing the same thing again, right? At least there's regret, and you're trying not to mm-hmm. do the thing. But at the same time, it's like, okay. So why all the extra fucking steps? Yeah, there? I can feel <laughs> so I mean, like, sorry. I have I to go up. tell this pedophile in a dark closet, <laughs> you know, and then have to yeah. recite a bunch of shit afterwards. Yeah. So all that to say, I, I don't personally no i haven't had the experience yet of ever having a bar that i liked going to i've always ever since i was about my mid-20s i have gone to bars to perform because it was music for at least a decade before it was comedy um it's always been a place where i had to go to perform and that was a lot of the sort of you know, all my conversations with evangelicals like, why would you want to go into the entertainment industry? Because if you want to be an actor, you're going to have to do sex scenes and we don't approve of that. If you want to be a musician, you're going to have to slug it out in bars for years before you ever have any opportunity to do something better. Why would you want to do that? And so it was kind of a big sticking point for a while. And and for a long time, I only go to bars because I have to perform there. So I'm curious as you, as somebody who has performed in bars, worked at bars, what is it about a bar, and I know it's going to be different for each one, but if you could just give me an example uh, of what it is that makes a bar the type of place that bec- it becomes popular and people want to hang out there to the point that when somebody does come in and disrupt with like a comedy show or something, that it's like, oh, you're fucking up the vibe in here and you're and we, now we all want to leave. What, what is it about a bar that is a draw? Uh, sure. So I, I think the, 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 the sort of part of what's going to answer your question about the the relationship between comedy and a bar and why it can fuck up the vibe is that uh for the most part bars are not like uh cheers mm-hmm. it's not everyone who knows everyone all uh-huh. hanging out together every day you might have your regulars i'm not saying but you know like at green room we'll have half a dozen people who all know each other and we know their name and they're there every day and they hang out together and all that stuff and that's fine but there's also just a crowd of people who are there just because they were nearby and wanted to get a drink or whatever, you know, and they might cycle through eight or 10 bars or whatever around town they go to from week to week. Um, comedy <laughs> requires that everyone congeal into one group mm-hmm. and be acting and thinking together and all want the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's not the situation with bars for the most part. Honestly, like some shows are already stretching that like like music and stuff like music or karaoke or whatever 
um, or trivia, easy to ignore. So it's right, not you don't deal. have to participate if you yeah. don't want to. We have, we have karaoke every Wednesday that has pretty good turnout, and there's a lot of people who come for karaoke, and then there's a bunch of people who just fucking shoot pool and right. I don't give a shit, and it's just background, and they're just there to hang out with their friends and shoot pool and do uh, you know mm-hmm. whiskey and a PBR or whatever. Um, so I think that's it. It, it, it. That's the comedy aspect of it. As far as what makes a bar popular, I mean, there's different things it's 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 a matter of like uh niches right that that you're the bar that's offering a specific thing that people want so it's like or or for a or tailored toward a specific crowd so you know it's like um uh green room is a service industry bar it is open until last call every single day of the week right so it's 2 a.m midnight on sundays um and that's how i got to go there was i've worked in bars and restaurants and we would close at like 11 o'clock you know or whatever and, and uh it would uh it would, it would you know take us a while to get off and then once we leave i want to go get a drink well most of the other bars close whenever the hell it gets slow green room's mm-hmm. always open so it filters out you know like all the other bars are closed so everyone who works downtown whether it's like pamplona or uh if you work at central pizza if you work at you know um tsunami whatever it is like every bar and restaurant when they close their employees come to green room and that's its niche that's its customer base and you build up from there across the street there's the office and that is douchebag frat bar and they're the douchebag <laughs> frat bar you know them and marley's i guess it's a little duplicative but like that's their thing is like you go there if you like to wear polo shirts and get in fights you know and <laughs> it is very much not the lie like whenever those people wander over to green room they feel very fucking out of place and then they leave because it's a right. bunch of like dirtbag bartenders not a bunch of you know uh yeah testosterone bags right, like chads yeah yeah um so yeah i think that's usually what makes it popular is like you have uh stumbled on some kind of niche that was you know needed this is the success of any business i guess but mm-hmm. uh you know if if you're offering something that the other bars on the block aren't offering that's kind of what, what helps you succeed and that's that had been beer garden in that they were uh like the only craft or they were one of the more craft beer oriented things but that can only carry so far and then it's like the other bar that was also because you know whenever they open which would have been like 2016 or something like that craft beer was a little less ubiquitous than it is now so it did have a little bit more of a monopoly but now it's like most bars have like a wide selection of craft beers to (laughs) choose from so you know then it was green room that was or uh, excuse me beer garden that was kind of behind the curve because they didn't have liquor and the other bars do you know (laughs) so it's like that's what left them in the dust uh so that was you could kind of see their niche come and go as Mm -hmm. it was this niche little thing into now everywhere you go has you know parish and gnarly barley and all this other shit that you used to only find at beer garden now it's everywhere so I had a, um, my, my brother-in-law in St. Louis, like when we went to go visit, he brought me on a tour, like almost like not a pub crawl, but he brought me to like a whole bunch of different places that all specialized in like really good cocktails. What would be a place around here that I could go and, and maybe have an experience like that? Um, most of them are restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're probably, I, I, I don't think there's like a strictly cocktail bar that I can recommend in like downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple in River Ranch that have that are, that are supposed to be pretty nice. They're not mm-hmm. my normal haunts, but um, honestly, if you want a good cocktail, uh, any of the nicer restaurants. So um, Pamplona has great cocktails. 
Um, Park Bistro has great cocktails. I'm sure Vestal has really good ones. Central Pizza has good cocktails. Might depend what kind of um, cocktail you're looking for, too. Right. It also, most of them certain, have a Like, I remember for a certain menu. period of time, and I don't know if it still is this way, but I remember, like, Don's Seafood would be a great place, like, to go get a Bloody Mary. Because mm-hmm. we used to do that sometimes, like, in mid-morning after we'd been drinking all night the night before. We'd go get a bite to eat and a Bloody Mary at Don's, and it would make you feel better. Yeah, and a lot of those places, it's like the reason that they recommend it. It's like, oh, you got to go try the old-fashioned at Don's. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's because that's just like they give you a 20-ounce cup of whiskey with a little splash of simple syrup on top of it. That's why it's so fucking popular. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, like, I I have always, I've been a, a... sort of dive bar guy most mm-hmm. of my life so like the thing that's that's the niche of the bars that i frequented through my like teens 20s and to some extent now is like what's the cheapest bar in town? Right. <laughs> you know it's like used to go to uh the loose caboose i mean i still do but they and they're still the cheapest bar in town but they mm-hmm. have been for a long time their prices haven't moved a whole lot yeah. uh but it was like you get just like five dollar pitches of pbr seven days mm-hmm. a week you get a 50 cent little like eight ounce drafts or something like that and if you had like almost no money the trick was most people bought the pitchers so if you were friends with everyone you would go get one of the little 50 cent drafts and you just bounce from table to table and go hey can i fill up you know it's like <laughs> drink all night for 50 cents you know it's like that's one kind of niche and another one is you know but also uh if if you weren't looking for the cheapest bar in town if you were looking for like a classy establishment you're gonna walk in there and there's fucking ice in the urinal and you know it's, yeah. fucking, <laughs> it's gonna be a little fucking weird does that do anything it's just like a bunch uh it gives you something to aim for i think yeah, it's, it's to occupy people yeah, it's so they don't piss on the floor because they're like "Ooh, we'll melt nice so they yeah. just direct their piss into the urinal that's very smart there, there was this place in my 20s for a while that i loved i'd go in there and i mean this place was like an old place it's in ville Platte. not anymore it burned down but it was called the Jungle Dinner Club, mm-hmm. and it was a fan, like a fancy kind of dinner club restaurant. But there was a side that was the bar, and I'd go almost every day in the evening. I'd go in the bar. It's all like old men in here, yeah, smoky, smoky, mm-hmm. just chain smoking, and like, um, the on the wall it was a, a velvet, it was velvet, and it was like a tiger, mm-hmm. and I mean stinky place, yeah, dirty, gringy. Mm-hmm. But I I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was it was a fun place. There was old men in there, and you weren't gonna. No one was gonna try to fight you or anything. Yeah. They play like old music, and you could get like, I think Wednesdays. Me and one of my friends would go, and it was uh like surf and turf night. So for like twenty three dollars, you got a steak and a lobster tail. Mm-hmm. So you eat a steak, a lobster, a rare steak, lobster tail, whiskey, and a cigarette, and then you know. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Your day was complete after that. Yeah. I want to ask you about red beans. For the, for those that are that are not aware, let, let us all um, sit at your feet and, and you can tell us what that's all about. Uh, sure. Uh, so in early 2021, I started uh, cooking red beans every Monday and delivering it around to people. Um, there's a few things that led up to that, which is like red beans, dry red beans were the thing that I bought at the very beginning of COVID when there was like food scarcity at mm-hmm. stores, right? The shelves were empty. Like people mostly didn't touch dry beans. Like you could find those pretty easily. Um, so And they keep for a long time. Yeah, so yeah. Like, you don't have to throw those in going the bad, yeah. And, and if it comes to it, if I can't find food, I'll have these red beans or whatever. And so I just bought like, I don't know, 10 pounds of red beans or something, put it in the pantry. 
And then eventually it turns out there is going to be food again. It wasn't that, you know, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like food did eventually return to the shelves. People chilled out. Cool. Um, so then I just had all these red beans. And so it started being like a thing I would cook every week, you know, just to burn them off, uh, which is, in retrospect is funny that I bought all the red beans. But it's like whenever there was no food on the shelf, there was no sausage. So I guess I just <laughs> been cooking kidney beans. beans yeah. you know? <laughs> like, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I started cooking uh, red beans and rice every week. Um, that was in 2020. And then at the end of that year, uh, it was a bad hurricane season. That's when we had Hurricane uh, Laura. Laura Delta. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Laura and Delta. Um, and so I, I helped out a little bit with um, some mutual aid stuff during that. Um, and did like these little pop up free stores where like just take donations of stuff people needed and then just go hand it out. Um. That got to be a little bit much for me because it like took over my life and my room and it took a long time for me to recover from having a bunch of shit that people gave me to go and get rid of. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like being everywhere in my house. And and also it was like coordinating volunteers and all this different stuff that was like so I I decided I wasn't going to do that. I like the people who were helping me. I like wrote down everything I did. And I'm like, if you guys want to do this again, here's the blueprint. But like, this is what I did. And I have divided my shit into six people. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> if you want me to be one of them, six people, fine. I'm not being all six again. So I was, yeah. from there, after that, uh, end of, end of, uh, like, like winter of 20 into 21, I decided I want to do something similar. Um, I had also been delivering food for waiter that year and, uh, you know, people needed like no contact food and stuff like yep. that, you know? So, um, I thought this would be a cool sort of marrying all these things. If I just started cooking red beans, delivering it around, um, red beans are also cheap, you know, it's, mm-hmm. like, it's the most expensive thing. And it's a sausage, everything else, super fucking cheap, uh, the beans, the veggies, all that stuff. It's like, it's, you know, maybe a dollar per serving or something like that. And that's like, including the cup that it's in, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was, it was a pretty good model for that. A good thing to go with. Um, so yeah, I started doing that. Um, I would, just, I would make like a Facebook post, just like comment here if you, you know, and DM me your name and address or whatever, and I'll bring you some red beans tonight. And then eventually I made a Facebook page for it. That way it didn't, ha- you didn't have to be my Facebook friend to see it, right? right. That was kind of mm-hmm. a limitation, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'll just make a Facebook and, you know, I can just direct people over there and that's as cool as beans um, is the name of it. Uh, and I still been doing that every Monday. Um, and periodically i'll like pass the hat around for donations but like i said it's pretty cheap so it's not yeah so it started off as sort of a storm relief thing the reason i I, the food delivery project made sense as a a more practical is that it's something i can do completely by myself if Mm -hmm. no one else shows up i don't have to wrangle people now i have help Mm -hmm. i have friends who help out um our, our mutual friend maggie shipley helps Mm -hmm. uh charles thomas Jane helps my girlfriend helps whatever so i have um of friends who help out but if all of them got sick or whatever i can cook a pot of red beans and drive around town by myself you know and so it's like that that gave it um longevity that's why Mm -hmm. i can guarantee it can be done every week because i can just show up and i don't have to you know uh hope that donations and volunteers Mm -hmm. come together i can just go slap down 20 dollars at the grocery store buy enough so i cook like four and a half pounds of beans and three pounds of sausage every week which is quite a lot mm-hmm. um but it's even still it's like 
you know, $25 or something for about Yeah, most of it's beans and rice, rice and yeah. it's the cheapest thing you can put in your mouth. Yeah. Right. Um, so just to be way. completely clear, this is something that you're just doing out of the goodness of your heart. Is it, It's a charitable thing that you're doing for people in need. Yeah, yeah, and it's mutual aid. Let you know it's it's also it's a it's a, a, a model for how I think the world should work. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a, a I've I've I'd like to get like crazy like philosophical or high mighty or anything, but like you know, I think like because people people have asked that's something that a lot of people ask because it's free food. Yeah. Um, people will be like, "Well, do I have to be like you know? Do, do I have to like show you my pay stubs or something? Is this right. this doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's for me. Who's this? For? You know, is, 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 am I included in the people this for? And it's like it's for it's like it's like asking who the library is for or something. Yeah. It's supposed to be like universal. Just yeah, this this red beans is just for anyone and everyone. <laughs> Uh, who happens to be hungry, right? And, and it can be because you don't have enough money for food. It can also be because you don't have time to cook, right? You know, it's like sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes like you, you might just be like a nurse and you, you make enough money, but you don't have time to, you know, it's, it's uh, home cooked meals are harder to come by. Yeah, it's, it's not about, it's not a, so much about like helping people that don't have money. It's just helping people that need some help yeah, in whatever way whatever that reason. they need. Yeah, because everyone, yeah, everyone needs a hand. A, yeah. A, a little boost every now and then. Yeah, and it's like the more uh, uh, qualified and means tested something is, the less likely people are gonna uh, gonna be to access it, right? You know, if, mm-hmm. if if there's a bunch of red tape and you have to, you know, if if uh, to get a library card you had to come in and like photocopy your uh, your your pay stubs and proof of address and all this other shit, then it's like it would people would be less likely to get it. It's like whenever you, yeah, you'd be spending all your time doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, you'd have to shut the whole, it wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't be able to do and get it out there. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, sometimes I deliver red beans to like fucking McMansions or whatever. And Mm -hmm. it's like, whatever, that's fine. Maybe it's, you know, it can, it can be anything. It can also, you can order it just cause you like my cooking better than yours. I don't know. That's fine with me. Um, but the fact that it's open to everyone also without, question no questions asked no any red tape or anything makes it easier for people who are poor or whatever to do is like mm-hmm. they don't have to take a whole lot of extra time all you got to do is put down your name and your address and it shows up you don't have to answer a bunch of questions i don't have to see if you qualify you just tell me you want it and you got it and just because you're human is a good enough yeah reason. then it feels like if you're in that situation else. already why well, i am like kind of embarrass you for or yeah. make you feel uncomfortable you know and 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 um you know places like um Food banks and stuff, they do really good work, but I, I've volunteered at them and it's like, uh, or, or at like sort of outlets for food, but usually food banks will, most of the time I find, uh, will provide like large amounts of food to like churches to give out or whatever is right. as sort of like mm-hmm. an arm of the food bank. I, I, I've done that, you know, and there's like half of the people volunteering there are volunteering there to process people's paperwork to make sure they quite, you know, it's like mm-hmm. there's a big right. line to walk up to the table with the person who like walks through mm-hmm. all of your fucking stack of paper you brought with you to make sure that you're allowed to get this food. Yeah. And it's like, it, it it's so much more intensive and it's, 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 it's uh, the project is like kind of aspirational part, critique and also just i like cooking yeah, and feeding people of, that worked in restaurants it, for a long time as far as cheap and i'm not talking about money wise cheap i'm talking about just like yours money's not the only thing you spend if even if everyone's volunteering all this time and manpower you're putting into it's cheaper just to spend maybe someone gets a free meal that doesn't deserve it is it less of a cost 
than the cost yeah. you're incurring right, right. now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It's not, it doesn't make, yeah, what's the worst? If someone gets a plate lunch that could afford it, oh well. Yeah. You know, it's not that big yeah. a By loss. By the way, specifically yeah. food banks, I'm talking about the places that give you like groceries, most like soup kitchens and stuff. I yeah. Think oh, no right. Yeah. Asked, but but like, still, yeah, someone but yeah, gets groceries <clears throat> that exactly. could afford them. Yeah. Okay. Right. But one or two, pe- a few people. You can't get rich off of groceries. It's not like they're yeah. turning around and selling a car load of groceries. And, and even <laughs> so, if it, for the most part, if you're help for the, if you're helping all these people in the process of a few people taking advantage, well, they're gonna have to answer for the, for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. not for you to answer for. And most of the time, when that becomes a big enough problem to start impacting, where you feel like. I'm not, you know, there's people that I know need this that aren't getting it because I'm running out by the time and, and all the people that did yeah, get that, it. Yeah. You'd know. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that would be a problem that I would think would develop slowly enough for you to yeah, be Yeah, you don't to, need to get, see their tax returns. Yeah. You know, you, exactly. you'll be able to figure out if it gets that big. Yeah. The, then, if, yeah, people are taking advantage to that extreme. Yeah. It's obvious. Yeah. And I mean, it's self-selecting, right? It, it's, it's, uh, it's like the idea that, uh, I don't know, uh, Something like um, like uh, public housing, right? You know, it's like there's like a, a huge process you have to go through to get into public housing. It's like, dude, I don't think there's a bunch of billionaires out there trying to cheat the public housing yeah. system. Yeah, and who's trying to live in this, like, in this house? You know, yeah, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it seems a little unnecessary, but it's like you could just get people housing. I don't think it would be that big of a deal, you know? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, My line of work, we basically, we build new homes um, for storm victims and we're required because it's HUD funds that we use to do it. Uh, we're required to make sure that 70% of the, uh, applicants that end up getting a new house are considered low to moderate income Mm. and the paperwork burden that it places on them is tremendous. And so we're at a stage in our program right now where we're kind of trying to wrap up this particular program. And so we have to go back over every single you know, thousands of people we build houses mm. for. We have to go back through every single file and make sure that all the paperwork, all every box is ticked. Yeah. And then we have to go back to them and they signed a prom note saying they would cooperate with this process, but now they're living in their, their house and we're going back to them and saying, Hey, we need proof of income from the year of the storm for one of the people that lives in your house. Nobody cooperates with that process yeah. once they've gotten what they need yeah. it's it's a completely yeah i guess not uh, pointless <laughs> yeah. exercise even though they're signed something saying they're obligated the worst thing that's going to happen is if that house got ruined by the next storm and right. they went to apply for assistance they may not qualify because they got some outstanding thing that happened mm-hmm. but the paperwork of having to demonstrate that you are qualified to get help is a tremendous um d- or what is it, deterrent yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that stops a lot of people yeah. from getting no, me, help or asking for help. Yeah, every it, whenever you means to stuff, it is like less. You can just track it. It's like if something's universal, <laughs> like um, like Medicaid or something, right? Mm-hmm. You know, versus or uh, rather Medicare um, versus something like Medicaid, where you have to like demonstrate. You know, it's like Medicare. I think you just have to prove that you. 65 or whatever the age right. is right mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. whereas like or like social medic- security yeah too, yeah. yeah like social for security, retirement yeah any any of those sort of universal things or or what have you or, or the library or honestly we don't have a lot of examples in america yeah. for me to point to <laughs> of like universal uh benefits that we have but um 
uh, something like that, you're just going to have like a really high percentage of people actually taking advantage of the thing that they are entitled to. Whereas you look at, you know, whereas I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, not a lot of fucking, I mean, I'm sure there is a lot of Medicare fraud, but I'm pretty sure it's the doctors doing the Medicare right. fraud for the most yeah, part. It is, yeah. it's, not, it's not a lot of people fraudulently tr- trying to get Mo- health care. Yeah. It's a lot of like doctors probably just like running a million yeah. tests they don't need to run. Mm-hmm. But uh, Medicaid, on the other hand, it's like you have to demonstrate your level of income and all this other shit. So it's like if you take the pools of people who qualify for both of them and it's like which percentage of the people who are actually entitled to this thing are getting it the mm-hmm. thing where you have to go through extra steps fewer people fucking get it mm-hmm. and it's like we, we passed a law to say if you make less than this amount of money you get medicaid but because we put this barrier to getting it by means testing it in the first place even us cutting the you know it's like more poor people would get Medicaid if you made it available to poor and rich people yeah. because there's uh-huh. like less of a step, right? right. It's uh-huh. like if your goal was to get poor people, as many poor people as possible to get covered under Medicaid, the best way to do that is to make it available to literally everyone mm-hmm. by like clicking a button and that's it, you know, rather than or, or just, you know, showing up at a hospital or whatever. Do you. Uh, this it just kind of seems to me that people need to be more community minded, but we're such an enormous nation of people. Um, Do you think that I've always wondered like if our future is that we're going to end up sort of becoming smaller communities and not these giant urban centers uh, or suburban sprawl, you know, but that if we could just kind of maybe go back toward uh, smaller communities of people through some, I mean, I don't know what would have to happen. It kind of seems like a, uh, a meteor or a nuclear, yeah. you know, Holocaust or whatever would have to be the thing that triggered it. Some sort of um, uh, the last of us kind of scenario. But it, I do wonder, like, do you think that going backwards in that respect would be a good thing for such a massive developed nation like the United States? Uh- I don't know about physically going backwards in terms of like no longer living in cities or something like that. I mean, like on an individual scale, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Um, But I I don't think the population centers are exactly the problem. I think it's good to like think on that scale. Like, I think it's good to think about what you can do for the people because it's it's, you can do the most for the people closest to you. Right. Right. Yeah. You can live in a in a big city. But if you can still be communal to the people that live near you. Yeah, you know, yeah, you don't have to live in in a necessarily small community. Every community, no no matter how big, is small right here. Yeah, you know, and it's it's the same as like uh, if if you you know it's like the uh, the food that's best for the environment is whatever food doesn't have to travel very far, right? You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's like put it on a fucking truck and burn gas or whatever. It's like you could say it would be better uh, to eat this organic food or whatever. It's like, well, if that shit's brought from California and you can get the shit from a farm around the corner, that's just better Mm -hmm. to get it from around the corner. Um, It's the same thing with like uh, aid and help of, you know, like, like honestly, um, like clean up after a hurricane, right? It's like, ideally people aren't flying in from all over the place to help ideally they're close by because mm-hmm. that's you're gonna have more familiarity people are gonna trust you you're gonna have more connections more you know so that's why it's like uh local churches and stuff like that do a lot of good work uh and and are a lot of times like more effective than fema mm-hmm. um, because they fucking know everyone yeah they don't have, they don't have all those uh like when Michael was talking about, they don't have all these different steps and bureaucracy yeah. involved. There's too many people involved. And a lot of these things, 
basically what it is is they're really more worried about having jobs yeah. and giving all these people jobs so then they have to assign tasks to all these people to where it's really hard for people to get the thing that the it's designed to it's not really it's harder to help the people that they're trying to help we like to wrap up each episode with a hypothetical question for our guest it's a question that will hopefully illuminate what in your life rivals stand up in importance and meaning for example i want so desperately to be a good stand-up a great stand-up i've thought about what i might trade in my life to get there uh, it occurred to me that i would give up my sex life for comedy i would <laughs> never have sex with another person again for the rest of my life if in exchange for that all my comedy dreams would come true exactly the way I wanted them to. Now, I mean, I realize not many people would take that deal. So if you had to make a deal with the devil to give up something so that all your comedy dreams would come true exactly the way you wanted them to, uh, what might that be? Like if you had to give up something very costly, something that would make the decision hard, but ultimately comedy would win, what is that thing for you? So what's the most valuable thing I would trade for? That's a difficult question. And I think the reason it's a difficult question is that I don't know. It's like the answer might be disappointing because I don't know if I would give up something incredibly valuable. I mean, like I would, there are some things I would give up. Don't get me wrong. Like I would give up, you know, I don't know, my the pair of shoes I'm wearing. But sure. like uh, something, something like never having sex again or whatever. I think that I probably, and this is probably because I'm uh like old and jaded in a comedy sense is like, ah, you know, I don't know if I value comedy as highly as like even any, like my relationship with my girlfriend or, you know, I, would, I wouldn't stop cooking red beans. I probably mm. wouldn't quit my job. Well, no, I would quit my job if I got <laughs> successful at comedy, but I, you know, I enjoy my job. Uh, no, that's, that's interesting. Dude, I'll make $75 at one show and I'll be thinking about quitting my job. <laughs> Yeah, you know that's so that's an interesting. I have like nothing, I have nothing on the books. I'm like, I'm making it. So this is like not, an, and I will come up with an answer. But this is not an answer to that. But I think it's interesting. Uh, is like uh, I've been doing like a lot less comedy recently than I have historically. For the first like three years, I miss a week, and I normally go to like two or three a week. I went to Baton Rouge, New Orleans on a pretty regular basis for like several years, mm -hmm. and I mean I didn't miss a week as in like not even. I was sick and I missed a week. Like I just like yeah, multiple years where I, I I went at least once a week and did comedy. Um, and I mean I I kept that pretty consistent. I would miss here or there, and I would maybe maybe take like a little month off to blah blah whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, that was before COVID. And then uh, whenever COVID started, you just couldn't do comedy. And and at first I was fucking dying to do comedy. And I was like itching yeah. and shaking. And I was like, I gotta fucking go do it. But like, I just wasn't able to for months and months and months or right? six months in or whatever. There still hadn't been a fucking comedy show. And I had gotten kind of used to it. And like, I, I was, whenever eventually shows started happening and I was like mildly surprised that almost everyone who was doing comedy before COVID was still doing comedy in Lafayette. Yeah. I mean, so I was like, man, I thought about not coming back. How did none of these other people not consider mm -hmm. the off ramp that was given to them? You know, right. like once, because once you're, you just separated. Yeah. Now, when I, when I started doing it again, I felt good about it, but I, it was like, I, I proven to myself that like, 
I won't like fucking kill myself if I yeah. don't get to do comedy. Like, yeah, b- like before all the years of your life before you ever did comedy, it didn't bother yeah, you not didn't, doing didn't do it. Didn't do it a single time. Yeah, before, before my first time. But I then once you it. do it, then yeah, then it bothers you to not do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I made it to how I would have been like twenty four. I was, you know, I've made it like 23, 24 years without doing comedy. No, uh, so. Um, I've been doing comedy a lot less. I've been working nights, uh, um, exclusively at a bar for the last like year or so. Before that, I was at uh, Central Pizza and worked a lot of days. It was a lot easier to take off as well, right? It's the mm-hmm. other thing, like because there were open days. If I requested off, I could still work a day shift, and you know, so it wasn't a huge sacrifice uh, financially to do it. Now it's I work at a bar. All of my shifts, if I'm working that night, it conflicts with pretty much any show. Um. Uh, you know, or or I'll have to be like late to the show or something, you know, right. on like the back half of the open mic or something like that. Um, so I just don't take off a lot of Fridays and Saturdays. Those money making nights uh, at mm-hmm. a bar, right? That's where I make a good bit of money. So even if it's like a paid gig, people offer me. It's like, oh, do you want to go do this thing? It's like, uh, you know, sixty bucks and a free drink or whatever. And it's like that's a really good thing for a comedy show. That's not bad at all, but mm-hmm. it's not as good as working a shift at a fucking bar. Yeah, it's I the could... money you're turning down. Yeah, no, doing, I mean, yeah. like, I, if I checked IDs and handed out wristbands, <laughs> I would make more money than that. I make a lot more from bartending. Like, it's it's just like a financial thing. Yeah, especially when you so, yeah you're doing sixty dollars in a drink ticket, but you're driving to you know yeah. fucking New Orleans yeah, or whatever. somewhere slot ale or something. The most recent one I had that was I felt was actually worth it. And I mostly did it just because it sounded fun uh which is like i opened for like a punk and a metal band mm-hmm. um at the loose caboose yeah. and that was really fun it was a really fun show and i made like 130 dollars yeah that's cool <laughs> it's a fucking five dollar cover but yeah. I, and i got mm-hmm. but they gave me a third of it and i had to go up afterward to the bands i was friends with the people in the band i was like hey uh the owner came and gave me a third of the door do y'all think that is equitable? Like, and they were like, "What do you want more or something?" I was like, "No, no, no." Yeah. no but there's four yeah, of y'all especially... and one of me, and I didn't bring any fucking guitars. Yeah, I told jokes yeah, on your crazy. microphone like, yeah. <laughs> for twenty minutes, and then they I, learned an instrument yeah. and everything yeah. else. And they yeah. were like, "Nah, man, we didn't do this show for the money." I'm like, "I gotta start opening for bands that aren't doing shows for the money anymore." Like, yeah. like I gotta. Yeah, make this happen because they're just like oh yeah we're just it was like you know they're like a newer band and they're like oh yeah we, we added a member and so we just wanted to practice for fucking around i was like you got 130 dollars practice and fuck around so that's pretty cool go buy a new cable or something i guess because yeah. uh, <laughs> it doesn't buy a lot of sound equipment honestly 130 dollars is like true um, okay mic- you get one of those microphones yes yeah, right so i was like you could you can get like a shore microphone <laughs> <laughs> exactly a shore <laughs> microphone and that's it mm-hmm. um which it's fine. but uh not nah, man so i just haven't been i'm like quiet quitting comedy or something <laughs> like i just i used to, I, I was joking with people that you know uh, ken edwards uh would say like uh He's so funny. He um, he doesn't have to write jokes anymore. I was like, I'm so funny. I don't have to perform jokes anymore. <laughs> I, just, I just think of funny shit and keep it to myself. <laughs> well, there are people. I feel like that really feel that way. That never set foot on stage. Mm-hmm. Oh sure, like they just don't yeah. work stuff out, and they're like, I don't no, they're not comedians at all. Oh, they just think they're funnier than everyone. Sure. Oh yeah, like. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, like people that have never, ever dur- done comedy that'll talk about other comedians like, yeah, he's fucking garbage mm-hmm. and all kind of shit like this. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Or I, yeah. Or, man, I think that's maybe my pet peeve in, in comedy. A lot of things people bitch about I don't care about. 
or don't don't bother me in the same way that they do with other people. Like most sort of generic comedy complaints, I think, are a little overblown and are mostly just inside jokes more than anything, mm-hmm. right? You know, right. If you're bitching about so and so at the open mic or whatever. The one thing that fucking irritates the shit out of me are people who talk about who who are not comedians and talk about how they want to do comedy every time mm-hmm. they fucking see me. I can't stand that. Yeah. Or people who used to do comedy and quit, and every time I see them, they're talking about coming back and doing a set. And it's like, look, I mean, do it or don't. Yeah, I mean, do you, can you spell your fucking name? Because that's pretty much all. <laughs> yeah. That's the, I, the I, barrier yeah, to can, entry. Yeah. And to be honest, it doesn't even have to be correct. Yeah, we, it's like we can talk about your set when you go and fucking perform it. Yeah. I don't need to hear about it. Every time I see you yeah. in between now and eternity, that it's like, oh, I'm thinking about going back, man. I got, I've been thinking of some stuff. It's like, cool, man. Like, I've been meaning to I tell- mean, you quit for a reason. It wasn't that good back then. So I hope you improved since then or whatever. Or people who've never done comedy is like, you know, trying stuff out on me or whatever. Or, you know, like, what, what do you think about this? Or I've been wanting to tell Daphne that. Maggie's dog Daphne yeah. someone will be on stage and she'll just start bar- heckling and barking at me like sign up Daphne oh, Daphne's you got, can do better Daphne's got more stage time than these shit talkers that's at true. the bar yeah that's true <laughs> under her belt she's got reps she's spent some time on stage no uh, that's that's maybe the thing that drives me up well, just cause like what do you say yeah. what am I supposed to fucking yeah. say to you yes that's very funny you should definitely go on to- and I just, I, when, I, when I first started I used to do that when people would quit comedy who I liked every time I saw them I would tell them they should come back and perform and that had to have been annoying for them for mm-hmm. me to be like when are you coming back or you gotta right. come back and do a set it's like they clearly mm-hmm. like weren't enjoying it for whatever reason mm-hmm. and it was probably very annoying I stopped doing that now I am out on deciding whether people should or should not do comedy at all like i don't i have no fucking opinions on that you you think you're funny go up and do it but yeah well uh, tell, that's the only time i'm gonna tell you once i'll be go ahead up there and after that i've checked out I don't yeah care. i'll be more inclined to tell them like if they're talking to me and like telling me everything that's wrong with my material and jokes mm. and then I'll, I'll always be like hey man i really appreciate you doing this for me why don't you sign up you know yeah so then they can see uh, that it's not that easy. Maggie used to have a, a th- whenever she would do the rules, I think it was like, uh, whenever she said, like, don't heckle the comedians. Mm-hmm. It was like, uh, if, if you want to let <clears throat> comedians know that you don't like their material, don't heckle them. All right. Just wait until they get off stage and uh, go up to them and say, I really enjoyed your set. It really made me think I can do comedy. <laughs> 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 Watch them crumble. Yeah, no, that's that's it. Digs so much fucking deeper than anything else. Well, Joey, I'm really glad we had you on the pod, man. Yeah, it just I learned about you in ways that I was hoping that I would, and I think this has been entertaining, but also think it's been hopefully uh, cause a few people to to ask themselves, like, how can I be a little bit more community minded? How can I do something that would rather than try to solve the problem of trying to get us to all live in pods? Why don't I just think of something that I could do uh, and do it? Yeah. I don't know. Also, uh, if you like if you Google my name and red beans, you will find that the current wrote a piece about it. And my recipe mm-hmm. is publicly available. Uh, <laughs> you can make my red beans exactly as I do is very detailed. Uh, so anybody who hears this, if you live somewhere like I only deliver within the city limits of Lafayette, if you Mm want to fucking, I get people, you know, who sign up that it's just because uh, we have so few drivers that if 
we expand it, then you'll end up going a lot of different directions. Right. So it's like we used to not turn down people who were a little outside. But then it's like, you know, if there's two of us driving and there's like one person in Karen Crow, one person in Broussard. Cool. We split those. But then if there's also one person in Scott, one of us going to have to do those. Yeah. And it's, two of those three it's good something. to help people, but it's important yeah. to stay within your means because yeah. you it gets to a part. Now you're the one that you need someone to help you now. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And now we're all, and, we all need charity at a so, certain point. Yeah. yeah. Well, I bring that up to say, it's like, if you are, if you live outside of the city of Lafayette, if you live in Karen <clears throat> Crow, Bruce or Scott or whatever, and you want to fucking do this, do it, you know, mm-hmm. um, like just, like honestly, you can just start with your friends. You can do whatever, but like, it, it doesn't. Have to yeah, it's not Joey Thibodeau's thing. It's yeah, exactly. anyone who yeah. wants to do it. Yeah, yeah. honestly, the the whole you know I, I make it the same every week, and it's to a recipe, and I actually measure everything. And the reason is I want to be fucking replaceable. If I if I'm sick, mm-hmm. I can get somebody to fill in for me. If I decide I don't want to do it anymore, I can hand it off. Really, just like a model. Honestly, yeah. it's like. It, it's real yes. fucking cheap to do something like this. And people give you very, very appreciative of that kind of thing. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, help yourself. Um, yeah. knock, knock yourself out. It's, it's if you, if you got a dish, you'd like to cook, cook it. Honestly, it could be your friends or your coworkers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you just bring some food to work with you and share it like that's, it's a very similar idea and they will yeah. also be they, they, pretty soaked. You pretty can stoked, you do know? a lot more to change the world. You know, <laughs> if you just start right here, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, like with, like you said, your friends and family, if you just help those people, if everyone helped their friends and family, we wouldn't need charity or the government or anything else. We'd yeah. all be good. But, yeah. you know, it's not like that. You're going to get our podcast taken off of Spotify if you keep talking like that. <laughs> <laughs> the government's listening. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, yeah, just think about ways that you can take whatever you like to do in your spare time and figure out a way to make that helpful to somebody around you. Just think local and and, and, and lift somebody else up a little bit today. Uh, you guys keep plugging away at it, and we'll see you next week. Bye.